We're about to kick off an all-new issue of Geek in the City Radio, brought to you by the fine folks over at, where else? Geekinthecity.com. If you enjoy this show, and I think you do, the best way to help us out is just spread the word. Uh, tell everybody that you enjoy listening to Geek in the City Radio on whatever social media platform you use, as well as giving us a five-star review on sites like iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or iHeartRadio. Those reviews go much farther than you would ever imagine in helping us climb the metrics, which uh, just gets us more listeners, which just makes us a bigger and more nerdier family for everyone to enjoy, which we're going to do right now with an all-new issue of Geek in the City Radio. Welcome to issue 589 of Geek in the City Radio. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron Duran. I'm one of your other hosts, Bean Rita. And I am your other, other host, Cable Hashitani. And this week, we are joined by uh, game designer Connor Alexander. Hello, sir. Thanks for having me on board. Yeah, this is super exciting to have you on here. We're jazzed for this, for sure. Same here. Um, so... I think I know Connor's answer, but everybody else, how's your week going? Pretty good. Just started. <laughs> Sorry. That's true. You all have different schedules now, huh? Because this is... I, get, I, I know. A cable got on our schedule, and then I got off that schedule, and now I'm weekends. and <laughs> Everything is thrown off now. It really is. I'm sorry, guys. That's fine. <laughs> I mean, I'm in a quasi-vacation mode. Because my, my deadline was last Friday to finish something, and it's completely done. I mean, now it's just editing and notes back and forth, but my heavy lifting is is done. Nice. Um, I quit my job last week and then worked six days out of seven. <laughs> wow. <laughs> she works a lot for being unemployed. I know, right? <laughs> that happens. That 100% happens when you're unemployed. You know what? That's true, Cable. I remember the last time I, I left my last official day job, I worked more in the two months after. I was like, I'm going to screw around for months and months. No. <laughs> I, uh, I think I took on three volunteer projects, um, created another podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. And accidentally on. Yeah. And continue. <laughs> yeah, ah, that was clever. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you're always busier when you're unemployed. That's, yeah. I've had a few friends also say that as well. So, well, I think we can jump right into it because Connor's a, a busy, a very busy person right now. I got nothing going on. Nothing going on. So, for <laughs> folks who, um, if you're not an RPG fan, you may not understand the big deal of this. But if you are, you know exactly what's pretty cool right now. So Connor Alexander is one of the founders, designers, and writers. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Of uh, Coyote and Crow, 
It is a Kickstarter campaign, and Coyote and Crow is a role-playing game based in a futuristic North America that was never colonized. Um, and yeah, Connor, I feel like you should just take off from there. Like, go ahead. <laughs> what inspired you? And uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, fire away. Yeah, so I I think the 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 root of the story really starts back when I I had a conversation with a guy who. Uh, is a consultant for native representation in games. And he said something about, uh, you know, even when the gaming industry gets representation right, it's almost always through a colonial lens. And that just sort of stuck with me. And uh, then I saw a, a trailer for a video game. This was a few years ago, I think 2018. I saw a trailer for a video game called Greedfall. I don't know if you guys remember that game, but the way they portrayed it was very sort of like steampunk, a European alternate timeline where they travel across the, the ocean hmm. to find a cure for a disease uh, where the, there are these magic savages who have the cure for the disease. And wow, was it offensive? I mean, okay. it was just so over the top offensive. And I, I began to think, you know, I, I grew up in the game, uh, game world. Uh, I didn't start working in the game industry until 2014. Um, but working sort of behind the scenes of the game industry and seeing sort of how the design process went, um, I knew that I, I had at least the the understanding of the infrastructure of the game industry and, and an understanding of how it worked. And I thought, you know, how can I introduce something that's uh, something to the, something to the game world that is de detangled from colonialism? And I think that took me it took me a while to figure out exactly the story I wanted to tell and even whether or not it was going to be an RPG, because quite frankly, I'm, I'm also as you know, versed in board games and card games. And mm -hmm. I, I think there was a, a lot of back and forth there. And I, I think I settled on role playing games really because there's a chance for me to, to paint a broad canvas. I can tell a lot of backstory with an RPG and really sort of set the mood. And I felt like this needed those kinds of details because there was going to be so many questions asked immediately. And, uh, and so I, I sort of dove in on my own for a long time, for a long time, it was just myself developing it. But I, when I reached the point where I wanted art and I also knew I wanted other writers to contribute, uh, because I, uh, you know, we're not monolithic Native Americans are not a monolithic culture by any means. And I knew I wanted a broad spectrum of voices to be chiming in on this. That was when I started reaching out to writers and artists and going, you know what, let's collaborate on this. Let's start pulling some stuff together. I've got the foundation and let's start building it. So that was, that was sort of the roots. Yeah. That was one of the initial things that really struck me when I saw your, when I saw your webpage before the, before the Kickstarter officially launched, you had a small little webpage that kind of mm -hmm. listed what your goals were. And I, and I really enjoyed the fact that you right out the gate said that, you know, indigenous culture is not monolithic, um, especially the way Hollywood's portrayed, you know, portrayed it or, yeah. and, and I guess the, through no fault of, of many people, because it's where they're taught, a lot of people just assume indigenous culture is, I mean, whatever they were taught in school, whatever they saw in Hollywood. And a lot of that is, you know, kind of the, the image of the central plains native is for lack of a, a better yeah. term is like, it's that kind of a catch all kind of thing. Yeah. And that's just not it at all, especially with, and it looks like Cody and Crow kind of dives into this. You go all the way down to like central, central America, even though it's North America, yeah. you tap into like some of the Aztecs. So you're covering a pretty wide geographic area yeah. and it's, yeah. it's not at all monolithic at all. 
It's yeah, hundreds of cultures. Really excited because in the in the core book we decided to focus on a single area, mostly for for non-native players, a single city to start their characters in and then build out on that world. So we we focus mostly on North America. I would say eighty five percent of the content is focused in on this this single real world city of Cahokia that actually exists. It's a UNESCO site, um, and we touch on some of the other nations that are in North America and we touch on Central America, but quite frankly, those books need their own expansions with writers from those areas. And I'm super excited because we've, we've really left space in that environment for a completely different world building to have it feel really unique and different. Hey, Denise, so. we know those people. And <laughs> 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 um, <clears throat> it, I, I like that you focus it on the one the one city. Yeah. Um being an old school, you know, gamer since like the the mid to late eighties. Um whether it was intended or not, when I when I read that description of that element, my brain reverted back to being like sixteen and Planescape and, and Sigil, which was this city of opportunity yeah. where every culture just kind of mingled. Yeah. Or like, you know, Blade Runner, where there's all these cultures in this one city. Oh yeah. And they may not yeah. all get along, but they're just, they're in this churn of culture and identity that I just love. The storytelling possibilities are so much fun. Yep. Yep. And we absolutely wanted to create a sense that, that in this world, you could absolutely have a campaign that is total, you know, urban noir, that you can absolutely have that campaign campaign. If you want, you can have horror campaign, you can have adventure and exploring campaigns. There's a lot of possibilities within this world. And we didn't want we, we we were trying very hard to break away from some of those um, uh, preconceived notions that a lot of non-natives have about what native culture might be like. So I think that was that was very intentional on our part. But I yeah, I admit I I am pulling from a lot of the same sources that you mentioned. Like for me, it was as a kid, it was Greyhawk playing Greyhawk in early D and D. Later, it was it was places like places like Los Angeles and Blade Runner. Um, more recently, New Angeles in the um, Android universe for from Final Fa- uh, from Fantasy Flight Games. They did a great job of reskinning the cyberpunk world in a in a more modern light. Um, so a lot a lot of a lot of uh, nods to those those fake cities there's 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 nothing wrong from drawing inspiration and pulling from some of the some oh, of the yeah. great games that came before yeah um cable did you have a question i kind of saw like a hand i wasn't sure no i don't have a question <laughs> at present it's kind of <laughs> <laughs> so how did you connor how did you assemble the team that that actually so that's a that's a good question um Slowly is the the short answer there. Slowly, um, part of the problem is is that that within a lot of popular media right now, there's a systemic lack of representation, and that means that the people who would be able to contribute are very disconnected from each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if we're lucky to have worked with each other on a project, we can communicate about that next project that comes along. But quite frankly, it was years long process finding the people who you know it's an ever shrinking Venn diagram, right? So I want native people. I want people who are available to work. I want people who have the creative skill set necessary and then who are interested in the project. And by the time you get to that narrow focus, you're talking about a really small pool of people. Um, Not to mention it's, it's funny in a sad way, how much I've been shouting from the rooftops about this project for more than two years now. And I still get people every day going, huh, how have I not heard about this? 
and, and natives too, like native creative folks, like native artists, native writers going, how did I not hear about this? And I'm like, I've been throwing money at advertising. And I don't mean advertising for the Kickstarter. I mean, advertising, trying to get people to come work for me. Oh. Um, yeah. You know, whether it's paid advertisements on ArtStation or DeviantArt or, uh, you know, Craigslist. I even got to the point where I was throwing ads up on Craigslist. So it was a long, slow process to find the people that were right for this project. But it seems like you're definitely getting the response now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, the folks that I've got now, especially my core writing team, are brilliant and so completely different from me. They have such completely different lived experiences and such different backgrounds. It's amazing. It's amazing. I, I will put out something that I feel is you know, whether it's a rule or a, a, a mechanism or just a setting idea and they will come back and go, well, what about this? And it's something, you know, 180 from what I came up with. And yet it still feels like they both fit in the world, which is great. That's fantastic. Um, so one of the things that happens a lot when, when, when books like this get produced is maybe one or two of the people have a cultural connection Mm-hmm. Um, but we, you know, we did, you know, did the, uh, kind of like the dive on the Kickstarter and your own webpage and yeah. the vast majority of the creators on your book are indigenous from various cultures and tribes within mm-hmm. North America. Um, I'm assuming that was a conscious effort, but like how, I mean, you touched on it a little bit, but how difficult was that? And did you get any pushback from people saying like, you know, but if I'm a good game designer, or a good writer, how come I can't just do it then? It doesn't seem fair. Like what's, what's your take on that? What would you say to that? Yeah. Well, so, so so the evolution was when I first started this, I said, I, I'm not in a rush. I have a day job. I'm working, you know, more than 40 hours a week in the game industry. I can take my time on this. And because I can take my time, I'm going to make sure that this team is 100% native. That lived for about a year, a year and a half before I realized that that for certain things, I just wasn't going to be able to, to accomplish it. I was never going to get made if I kept up at that. So then I moved, I moved the goalpost a little bit. And I said, I don't want anybody who is going to create content for the stories that is non-native. I don't want any writers involved here that are creating content that don't have a native background that I've been able to stick to, which has been great. So we've had people who have done, you know, graphic design or some layout work or, um, uh, some of the some of the map making or some of the art is, have not been natives, um, which is okay. I'm okay with that as long as it's all coming through us. It's all coming through our team. The team is seeing it. The team is talking about it, and it's going through a lot of filters along the way. Um, I never so, got any so, push- so the myth oh, and world building is through a native a- lens. Absolutely, native. absolutely. Yep, one hundred percent of that. Um, and then. You know, uh, but I will say that I never got any pushback from non-natives who, when I said no to them, there were a number of artists who approached me closer to when the Kickstarter launched who, uh, who wanted to, to be a part of it. And I just said, hey, this is not, this is not your opportunity. You know, thanks. I, I think we've got the team that, that we need. I appreciate it. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a hard line because I think what I'm hoping for is that this project uh, pulls together enough of a crew that going forward, we do have some basic resources in the game industry to say, hey, that for the next game, we've got an established team. We've got designers mm-hmm. and writers and artists who can all contact each other. So that's right. a good feeling. I was thinking about that while you were describing that that two-year process of finding people and getting the word out. Uh, and it seems like the real problem is that there, there wasn't a network Mm-hmm. That's correct. For for native uh, creative types, and it 
seems like you have built the baseline of what a network could look like. I, I would really like to think that. And I really want to, um, I want to make sure that I'm a good steward for that. And that's, that's a, that's a lot of responsibility, but um, I'm hoping that because we all, for the most part, especially my writing team, we really work well together. I'm hoping that, that this success can sort of launch their campaigns and, and launch their ideas. Cause I know they've got some of their own game ideas. So if I can, if I can help them be a launch pad, all the better. So. That's really cool. Um, so I, I've seen a couple, uh, you addressed this on the Kickstarter, but for folks mm-hmm. who haven't, uh, join the campaign yet also you need to do that um i think one of your updates or maybe in the campaign itself you explained why there's no section in this initial core book about europe about mm-hmm. the, the european and i appreciate you didn't come off as like snarky or mean you're at you're basically it seemed like your approach was well that's already out there but that's also not the point of the book yeah um did you get any kind of like, cause there, there have been um, in my memory, there have been some attempts to do role-playing games or settings inspired by indigenous cultures. I mean, going all the way back to like um, TSR for all its problematic issues, they attempted Mazteca, yeah. which <laughs> looked pretty. It looked like everything you'd want to print spay paint on the side of your van <laughs> You know, which I have, you know, look, I get it. It's cheesy. It's exploitive. Yeah. Part of me kind of loves it. Kind of that like yeah. exploitation image, you know, gr- you know, kind of no, grindhouse thing, but pretty questionable. Yeah. And there have been other games that have tried and I'm not going to name them because they've dealt with some crap they've had to deal with. Sure. Yours is the first one that seems to pull it off. But all of those games previously still felt a need to at least reference European powers, either directly mm-hmm. or, or symbolically, like, mm-hmm. you know, like Mazteca had something that was obviously conquistadors. Yeah. And you're just saying no. Yeah. Like how's the feedback been on just saying no? I, it hasn't been hostile. I'm, I'm, I have to kind I don't want to, I don't want to come off sounding mean, but like, I kind of just smile and grin when I get people going, yeah, but can I play a German in this and, or, or whatever it is, you know, whatever <laughs> non North American or South American uh, uh, background they're looking to play. I just, I played I, Assassin's Creed. We showed up in North America <laughs> and it's cool. <laughs> and you know, I'm not going to stop anybody from playing this game the way they want to play. I realize that once a role-playing game hits the table, that storytellers are going to do whatever the hell they want with the game. Mm-hmm. They're going to make yeah. it their own, but I don't have to facilitate that. And, and, how many games have we had where, you know, we've got Europeans involved in some way. And that's, that goes back to the root of untangling it from colonialism. There was no way for me to untangle this from colonialism without cutting it out completely. I mean, it had to be like tumor removal, boom, gone, Mm -hmm. you're out. Um, And I think once I drew that line, it actually freed me up quite a bit because then we started getting into great questions like, well, if there's no Europeans, there's no horses. So what Mm. changed with horses? And then you start getting into whole ideas about roads and why there are, you know, why there were not an excessive amount of roads in North America. Um, And then you start getting into like, well, people are using waterways. Um, So when you get to all of that, you start building a fascinating technology tree that almost begins to build itself. And once you understand a, um, a, a, 
a technology tree in that fashion, you can start adding culture around it. How would how would culture A change if you had uh, you know this piece of technology and that mixture of culture and technology almost built itself after a little while. Like one thing just started coming after the other, and uh, and that that was that was a joy to write. That was a real joy. Right. And I want I want to ask like this also happens a lot, and I and I think I probably already know the answer. Whenever someone tries to write like an alternate history about what if so and so never colonized or whatever, the temptation is to paint the initial indigenous group or culture as idyllic with mm-hmm. no problems mm-hmm. of its own and it's a paradise and it would still yeah. be a paradise if the white man hadn't arrived yeah and i feel like what it comes down to is that humans are still humans and we can all be kind of right bastards and i mean how do you approach that i mean do you're like look we weren't fucking perfect so i mean absolutely absolutely <laughs> so i think one of the first things i i realized when i created the uh, the incident that altered our timelines was that I wanted that same incident to be a um, a nexus of change and a nexus of uh, of social evolution for the people on these continents, on North and South America. And, you know, if you're living in some sort of pseudo paradise, I think the the evolution the social evolution, the technological evolution is going to be really slow. There's not a whole lot of things pushing things forward. There's not, there's nothing pushing society forward there. And so I think creating, having this sort of global disaster that not only removes Europe from the picture and removes the other continents from the picture, but creates a climate disaster on this continent that pushes people together, pushes them uh, in a way that they wouldn't have normally forces them, you know, forced migration reduces the amount of resources these people have available. You create conflict then uh, you create interesting storytelling ideas, but then you also create a situation where people are forced to adapt. And uh, I think that adaptation, that need for adaptation was what drove the initial uh, uh, change in pace of technology in this world. So 700 years later, and a little bit of a fantasy element strewn, strewn in a little <laughs> later down the line, you get some really interesting tech. Oh, yeah, I can. From from the limited pictures you've shown on the campaign and on your webpage, the tech looks super fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm so jazzed to try this game out. Um, so something I wanted to touch on or ask you about, and I actually want to ask how you're going to handle this. Mm-hmm. Um, one of your goals that I really appreciate, thought was great, was that one of the levels of the Kickstarter, you can buy a print version for yourself, mm-hmm. and then a print version that will then be donated to a local tribal library or community center. Mm-hmm. Um. What are your thoughts and reasonings behind that? And in terms of your initial ideas of what would happen and what's happening now, like, how do you, yeah. what are your thoughts on that? So that, that, <laughs> so two part, two part answer there. So when I, when I initially had the idea, um, it was, um, it was based on um, a, a pledge level from uh, Eloy LaSanta's game, um, Oren. Uh, it's an Afropunk uh, sci-fi role-playing game that came out a few years ago on Kickstarter, and mm-hmm. he had a pledge level where it was uh, donate it was donate a copy to um, underprivileged youth. And first of all, that's a it's a brilliant idea because I really feel like role-playing games are once you can uh, overcome that initial cost hurdle, they're mm-hmm. actually really cheap, right? You can get a lot of play value out of a book, but there mm-hmm. is an initial barrier, uh, to entry uh, right out of the gate with a lot of, a lot of physical role-playing books. <laughs> so I wanted to, 
um, get this game into the hands of as many natives as possible, not just kids, but native uh, native folks who have maybe never played a role-playing game before, because <clears throat> there's a certain degree of, in this story, even though it's not a utopia, there's a certain degree of hopefulness that this world portrays for natives that I think is not seen in a lot of media. A lot of media, when you look at modern media for natives, a lot of times we're dealing with very unpleasant crap. We're, we're dealing with a lot of stuff right now that's difficult. Mm -hmm. And as much as I love accurate representation, some of that stuff can be pretty heavy and it's not always a lot of fun. So what I really wanted to do was go, how can I get this game into native hands and have them have a chance to play this game that, that they see themselves in? Um, so that was sort of the impetus for that. Now, when I started the Kickstarter campaign, I was maybe thinking a hundred. Uh, I, I think we're in the around in the 2000 range right now, 2000 donated. So you initially thought, you know, if we can donate a hundred books, I'll, I'll consider that, that a would success. be a win. That's a win. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, you know, at that point I was willing to bring in a hundred, a hundred copies into my house and just mail them out one at a time and do it that way. <laughs> That's what I was prepared to do. Um, that's not a big deal. But now at 2000, we're looking to partner with um, uh, a few different organizations. Uh, I'm going to brutalize the acronyms, but I, I think it's the American Indian Tribal Library and Museum Association. Man, mm -hmm. I hope I got that right. But in any case, we're looking to partner with a few folks who can help us manage the the logistics of contacting all these folks and getting the getting the games to where they need to go. Um I think that the that's one challenge. And what was also surprising to me is how many people had questions of, yes, I want to donate. And can I tell you where I want it to be donated? I have a library or a reservation that means something to me. I, I, that was something I was going to bring up for me, mm -hmm. for my donation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so all we can do is say, you know, yes, we'll, we'll absolutely take your, take your uh, request into consideration. We can't promise because what I'm what I'm afraid is going to happen is is that you know ten people are going to request the same place, mm -hmm. and then and then one place is going to get left out completely. So right. we're going to try to we're going to try to prioritize the requests. But in the end, for me, it's about equity. It's about making sure that we get the game is fairly and 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 uh, uh, most equitably spread across uh, the, the 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 continent that we can. Um. So yeah, that's exciting stuff. Yeah, and you're. You're basically at the halfway mark of the whole campaign. Yeah, tomorrow's halfway. Tomorrow's halfway, and you're at just, you're almost at $556,000. Yeah, you're, 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 you're $84, $86 away from 556. Yeah. That's a nice house. That's what that is. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a one bedroom apartment in Seattle, sadly, but uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That's why I don't yeah. live there anymore. Yeah, yeah being yeah. it's a decent house in Gresham <laughs> in Portland area. Let's let's be honest here. Um, yeah. What is something and we've got some questions we have a on the YouTube page. We have a live mm -hmm. chat there. We'll sure. actually let's what do you guys think? We should just jump to that really quick. That yeah, we can fine. we can switch gears um, real quick. Really quick here. Let's look at uh let's see, listener Brad. Um he's got a gameplay question. What are sure. um what are some of the things in the gameplay that you enjoy that you didn't expect? And first off, really quick, you're using a D12 base system, mm -hmm. which I find incredibly charming because no one loves the D12. And I think it's one of the most aesthetically pleasing die in the polyhedral set. Yes, I love the D12s. And it yes. rolls perfectly. The D20 rolls a little too easily. 
The yep. D10 and D8 bounce. The D12 just has a good roll. Yes. And nice visible numbers too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what are some of the, the gameplay mechanics that I really like? So for me, there was one, there was one key moment I had in the early development that is, it's transformed, of course, over development, but the, one of the key mechanics that I really love is called focus. Uh, so a lot of times in games, you get uh, modifiers to your dice, add this or subtract this, add more dice, take away more dice. But once you roll, the roll is the roll, and that's the end of it. Uh, one of the things I like about focus is that it adds this element of uh, heroic storytelling to your character where you can alter the value of the die. So if you needed uh, if you needed to roll an eight on a particular die, you can spend two focus if you rolled a six and change that six to an eight. And you get to decide then when that roll is important to you. Uh, I love that mechanic. It is in playtesting, it has made the players... I can see it on their faces. It's made them feel more heroic in those Mm -hmm. key moments when they need a hit to land or they need an ability to fire. Being able to spend that focus has been brilliant. Right. Okay. When you just got to fire that torpedo down the exhaust port. Yes, exactly. Or the rebel base is doomed (laughs) kind of thing. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I want to get to norms in a minute, but I actually want to jump to listener Bex. Uh, She has a question. Um, how newbie friendly is it? She asks because she tends to play RPGs with people who are, she knows RPGs. Mm-hmm. I tend to play with people who are pretty new to RPGs. So I, I've, I'll be honest with you, Bex. It's a little crunchy. Um, I've, I've worked really hard to make sure that this game plays mostly from your character sheet. I am not an RPGer who likes to reference a bunch of tables. I have done my best oh, thank goodness. to, yeah, <laughs> I, I want people playing, not referencing. So I, I strongly feel that once you understand the game, you can play almost without opening the book, if you, especially if you've got a good story guide. Um, that said, it is a little crunchy um, in the initial phases there, especially during character development. Um, there's a lot of depth to the character development. I will also say that we're one of the stretch goals that we hit is a rules light version um, and the idea for that was specifically that we wanted to create a version that was so light that we could get your your auntie to play at the table when she's never played a role-playing game before. Oh. You can get her to the table and get her playing. So that was a big goal for me there to act, have that version act as a lead-in. Um, but I will say that the game is moderately crunchy. Okay. I mean, it's not that bad. And so you no. say it's somewhere between... I don't know. Okay, well, what do you think is a very rules-light RPG to get going into? I mean, I think 5e is not that bad but the 5e has been streamlined so much yeah um, i would say it's less crunchy than 5e but maybe oh. a, maybe a little bit more than maybe something like a world of darkness i don't know mm. oh that actually crunch? seems very not crunchy to me yeah because i think crunchy i think uh, just bloody pathfinder <laughs> <laughs> i think so much math i think traveler oh my god oh. well well it's the only game where Miller, mad love for him, but yeah, it's it's crunchy. It's yeah, the only it's... game where you can die in character creation. Mm-hmm. There is I... definitely a lot going on with the characters, though, right? You pick your archetype, mm-hmm. which there's six options there. You mm-hmm. pick your path. I think there's like mm-hmm. two dozen paths. Uh, fifteen. Mm-hmm. Okay. 15. Yeah. Um, and then also there's like the benefits and the detriments. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to know more about those, but yeah, there, yeah. there is a lot of there is a lot of stuff. There's a lot of combinations that you can yeah, create for, for different character builds. I, I will say that the archetypes are extremely loose. They're they're closest to D and D class, but they are 
so wide open. They do not constrict anybody on later choices at all. Um, and in fact, I, I'm, I want to say that like I, archetype is, is probably one of the least important things in your character sheet. It is only hmm. there to give a couple of stat bonuses and to basically give a general idea of your character's profession overall, but they're not locked in in any way further in development. Just, um, just real quick, I just got an email sure. from some listeners. Um, yeah. We just had five different people back it. So you're beyond 556 five, now. So there you go. Thank you, Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, so there are, I, I personally feel like the keys to the character sheet and the one that's on the Kickstarter is not finalized, but I think one of the reasons I built that character sheet out the way I did is is that the numbers go on the bottom because to me, the numbers are the least important part. What's important is on the top, the background, the gifts and the burden, the motivations, the things that make people who they are and make the decisions that they're going to make. Um, I, I especially, especially for new role players, I feel like they have a hard time sometimes putting themselves in their character's shoes and just giving them numbers doesn't really do anything for them. Mm-hmm. So um, gifts and burdens to me were really important. Uh, they're similar to merits and flaws uh, from the World of Darkness series. But I think where we really differentiate it uh, with gifts and burdens is that anything can be a gift or a burden, depending on how the, the player and the character interpret that thing. And I like to use the example of a sister. Uh, if you have a sister, she might be a gift. She might be a burden. She might be both. And how that how that relationship plays out is up to the player. They get to decide whether that sister or how they engage with that sister. Um, so I love the gifts and burden system. That's another big one for me. Um, and uh, yeah, when you get by the time you get to to stats, it's it's a much easier game. It's just fill out the numbers, fill out the form, check your boxes off, send in your W two, and you know there you go. <laughs> Hey, Aaron here. Uh, As you will soon realize, we just had one really large, fantastic conversation with Connor, so there wasn't a natural place to put an ad break. So here is the awkward transition to an ad break. Oh, hello. I didn't see you come in. I was just so engrossed in the newest book from Dungeons & Dragons, Candlekeep Mysteries, that I didn't realize you had entered the room. What is this book, you say? Why, it's a fantastic new adventure put out by the creators of Wizards of the Coast. But where can you get it? Well, where else but Guardian Games, 345 Southeast Taylor Street in Portland, Oregon. If you too would like to delve into adventure and mysteries, read books not meant for mortal or immortal eyes, then you too should enjoy Candlekeep Mysteries, which you can purchase anywhere, of course, but the best place to purchase it is at Guardian Games. Not only do they have this fantastic tome filled with adventures yet untold, but you can also buy dice, miniatures, puzzles, as if this book does not have enough puzzles on its own. (laughs) Or card games, board games. Everything you need to pass the time in these days of being at home while the plague floods the land. There is darkness, and the darkness needs heroes. Become a hero at Guardian Games. 345 Southeast Taylor Street, Portland, Oregon. And when you're there, perhaps tell them you enjoyed this little tale brought to you by Geek in the City Radio.
hey, it's Bridge City Comics, you know, the place over at uh, 3725 North Mississippi Avenue, you know, in Portland. Look, we don't ask for a whole lot. Just like pick up your box, you know, once every 30 days. It's not like you have a lot of books in there because you don't buy a lot of books. Not the way you're supposed to, the way you should. But uh, also, you know, going to let you know that I was able to special order that book for you. I guess I'm just going to sit on it till you pick it up. Um, I'm not going to put it back because I'm a cool comic book shop, you know, and I want to take care of your stuff. But maybe you could help out and pick up your books more once in a while or place more orders. I'm just saying it'd be nice if you uh, came and picked up your stuff. 3725 North Sea Avenue. You can do it online too. <sighs> BridgeCityComics.com. You know, best comic book shop in town. We've been a sponsor of you for a long time. This went to the machine again, didn't it? Damn it! So, uh, listener Norm had a, he always likes, he also has, he always has questions about the process mm-hmm. and I'll try to kind of reword his a little bit. Okay. Um, basically, was there something during the writing process that your team found humorous or surprising? Was it a discovery in the process of the game that you're like, we didn't think we'd go in that direction, but we did. Hmm. And you can say no. <laughs> I- I don't, I don't want to say no. Saying no is boring. Come on. I want to say something. I want to say yes to that. Um, so I will say this. I, when I first approached my writers um, and, and I started bringing external writers on after having sort of built the foundations, I had a very, very clear image in my mind of what this world looked like. It was like a movie that played in my head. I knew exactly who inhabited this world. And bringing the other writers in and seeing them read what I wrote and then come back with their additions. The most surprising thing uh, was um, uh, these um, supernatural insects that one of my writers came up with. And um, it was was something that I hadn't even pictured, but she had this whole idea for this um, mythical insect that we don't even know if it actually exists. It's just rumored to exist. And she came up with this whole backstory about what they do and what they feed on and where, oh, where they live. And it's fascinating. And that is the kind of stuff you cannot buy. Like I, there is just no way that I can thank Wayoti. Uh, Wayoti's the old, the writer of that, uh, Wayoti Old Bear. Uh, she came up with these insects and I, I read that. And I went, now I know I'm on the right page. My vision was good, but I know that by adding these other writers in, I just upped my game seriously. That is so cool. Is that based on a real myth from a culture? No, no. whole cloth from so her. So they just were like, I got an idea for bugs. Whole cloth from her, yeah. Um, I, I do have a like a kind of like a nerdy question in terms sure. of like um like the magic and tech. How does mm-hmm. that work? And then, you know, are you are you pulling in uh mythical creatures from various indigenous stories as like yeah. a bestiary for lack of a better term? Yeah. So for the to, to answer the second part of the question there, we absolutely are. However, we're being also really careful to pull in uh, real lore and then modify it and adapt it in a way that it's safe for non-native audiences. We don't want to do anything where uh, non-native players are going to accidentally step on anyone's toes uh, 
or, or intentionally. Um, but we want to, we want non-native players to feel safe playing it at a table, especially like at a con. We don't want them to sit down with something out of our book, misrepresent it, and then offend someone at the table who's maybe native. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we're writing these in a way that they're safe to play. Um, that said, we're also creating some out of whole cloth. I mean, I think we're certainly taking some ideas that are from our cultures and from our traditions and from our backgrounds and going rather than a dragon elf and orc background, what can we create whole cloth that's fresh and new that we haven't seen yet? So there's that as well. Um, as far as explicit magic, um, no, there's no explicit magic called out. However, there's a subjectivity to so first of all, let me back up. So there's no magic in this game, but part of the problem is, is that defining magic almost, almost automatically puts a parameter on the game that would favor one tribe or another. Defining mm. that magic system would put a favoritism toward a tribe that I don't want to do. Um, and I, one of the most important things for me in this game is, is that anybody from any tribe, I want them to feel as though they've got a place in the sandbox to play in this. So putting those parameters down too hard, I think, uh, stops them from being able to do that. Um, <clears throat> but that said, there's a lot of things in this game that are unexplained. Uh, one of the core fantasy conceits is the Adeneti in this game, which translates to the gift. Um, and it starts out, you know, hundreds of years in, this, in the past as this sort of purple stain that appears on plants and animals. And through this cultivation of it and through modern scientific advances, they realize that consuming it at the right time during puberty gives you this uh, gives you a supernatural power and that's what your path is on your character sheet you've chosen to mm. consume the audinetti from a fox so therefore your path of the fox um what exactly the audinetti is is not defined in the book it's certainly given some scientific parameters but there's a lot of subjectivity uh there within the book for players who have a spiritual uh background or spiritual leanings to add their own meanings onto those rules um that that comes really into play with things like the skill ceremony um ceremony has a very basic mechanical function in the game as it's written but we also call out that native players are perfectly perfectly uh it's perfectly acceptable for native players to strap on their culture with their story guides permission and say hey i want the ceremony to do skill to do this in our campaign because this is a ceremony that my tribe practices mm-hmm. oh that's really cool yeah that's a, that's really that's a whole new breed of open-ended playability i th- Thank you. I, I'd like to think so. That's certainly what I was aiming for. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, double check, make sure I'm not missing uh, questions from the chat right now. Um, I don't think so. No, we're trying to be good about it. So there will probably be a lot of just, there will probably be a lot of non-native players that want to try and play in the game. Yeah. Um, but I also know a few players that are not native and they want to play it, but they already have reservations of like, am I going to be appropriating by playing this game? I'm going to be playing a native character. Yeah. Uh, how can I explore this game, the storytelling, but still be respectful? What would you say to like non-native players? Like this sounds cool, but am I going to be like a, a dick for then playing yeah. it? <laughs> you know? So First of all, uh, absolutely not. Let me welcome you to this game. This game <laughs> is built for natives and non-natives alike. I'm inviting you into our home. Um, 
Second, I will say that in the book, uh, we address it in two ways. Uh, right up front at the beginning of the book, uh, we uh, have a section four that says message to non-native players and then message to native players. And we just sort of spell out how to approach the book, how to avoid pitfalls. Um, it is not appropriate to play a native person. It's, appro it's appropriate when you start taking what you believe those native peoples would be doing and then misrepresenting them. Uh, or, or even accurately representing them when you're not in a position where you should be representing them. Um, so that's that's part of the reason that we went with this alternate future, right? Stripping out the last 700 years of colonial history puts a fictional spin on these characters where I don't believe it's, it's appropriate, especially with the guide, the, sort of the guardrails that we put onto the game. Um, also, similar to what I mentioned with the ceremony skill, throughout the game, anytime there's a there's a chance for um, non-native players to perhaps step on someone's toes, we call that out. A, a perfect example is um, two spirit uh, identity characters. Um, that's that's uh, a realm for native players, and we specifically say, do not make your character a two spirit character if you're non native. Um, so I, th I think we give pretty clear guidelines, and uh, if there's ever an edge case, I would hope that somebody would call out on one of our forums or, or write me an email, but um, I think we do a pretty good job of making it welcoming. That's cool. That's good. And, you know, I think in the long run, it's, it's, it's storytelling, which can only help expand everyone's understanding and empathy towards others, which... I would hope so. Um, I mean, yeah, role-playing is also, also about, like, you know... Get the treasure, kill the kill the monster. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. But you know, deep down, it's also an exploration of story and of self. Yeah. And um, absolutely, I see the positive aspect, especially if you get this book into into more locations that maybe don't have that opportunity yet. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I one of my great hopes is that uh, I have a lot of hope for native players of this game, but certainly one of my hopes is that non natives play this game and then maybe feel like they start examining the land that they're living on and the people who are around them a little more closely and maybe start asking some more appropriate questions. That would be great. If that, if that starts a dialogue, I'm all for it. That's very cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, Cable, Denise, do you guys have anything? I can keep yammering on. I don't want to, <laughs> but I want to make sure you guys. Uh, uh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I don't actually have something off the top of my head. Uh, what I what I was thinking about uh, leads into what you're talking about getting it into more places um, given the response from Kickstarter mm -hmm. and uh, I know that you have retailer um, level pledges uh, I, I know this mm -hmm. because Guardian Games has pledged um, <laughs> oh yeah when we started talking about this I took this information into work and went hi so this is happening <laughs> and um our buyer ben looked at it immediately and went oh yeah done <laughs> yeah that's great and, and i say this from the standpoint of we stopped backing kickstarter games mm -hmm. um as a company we went no we we if it's going to have a retail uh release eventually we don't need to be backing yeah. it all it does is give us additional stuff that we can't really do anything with yeah um the exception is usually in the RPG world where it's like, no, that, that we, they've got a retailer pledge level. Let's pledge to it because we want that initially and then we yeah. will buy it even more. So are there plans um, to put together a retail plan after? Yeah. After so I'm, 
again, I, I would love to call out the fact that I'm I'm in sort of a privileged spot in this industry, and in that I I was already working in the game industry, mm-hmm. and and my my day job uh, allows me some connections to um, a. Uh, uh, middle tier distributor uh, who works with Alliance and ACD and GTS mm-hmm. uh, and Peach State um, and is going to basically set us up. So we've we already have guaranteed distribution through the U.S. and international. Um, yeah, and they're they're really good partners and very supportive of the project. So we we plan on putting it, hopefully at least a few thousand units into the hobby distribution shortly shortly after the Kickstarters get theirs. Great uh, Kickstarter backers get theirs. Yeah. Yeah. And, and hopefully, hopefully the next thing down the line, because we've had a huge clamoring for it is uh, a story guide screen and some dice. So a lot of folks are like, I don't have enough D12s to manage this game. I need some more. <laughs> you know, we were actually talking about D12s at the store the other day. Mm-hmm. Uh, spoilers. I worked for Guardian Games. So as well as their, them yeah. being a sponsor of the show. Um, and we're, we've been rather low because we just, no one's picking them up. Everyone was complaining about them. I'm like, oh, this is this is going to be great because we yeah. now have a reason to make sure we have lots of D12s in stock. Yeah, and I think most players are going to want to have nine or ten of them. They won't always use nine or ten, but it'll be good to have nine or ten D12s wow. per player. So, no, we'll generate some dice sales. I will, look, uh, at, look at you, you're building Byron. networks of indigenous creatives. You're refreshing the market on D12. <laughs> <laughs> If I can, if I can actually point to some chart somewhere where we see a spike in D12 sales, I'm totally going to take credit for that. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, White Wolf got to claim a spike in D10s back in the day. Oh so. yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, did you have any sort of? Um, did you? Uh, I know Gamma is this weekend mm-hmm. or this week as well. Uh, did you have any? Um, hmm. Is it really? Yeah, yeah it's it going is. on right now. Yeah. yeah, it started today. Yep. Uh, what is time anymore? Yeah. Um, in fact, our buyer was at home. It's like, I, I, I can't do it, this at work. I'm going to stay at home and watch, <laughs> do nothing but watch Gamma yep. videos. All the presentations and yep. yep. Uh, did you make any sort of announcements that would show up at Gamma? No, no, I actually was working my day job all day today. So I actually had to check in what I'm an account manager. So I was working with some great folks like uh, Smirk and Dagger and Good Games mm-hmm. Publishing and Yellow. Uh, so I was I was actually working with a lot of those folks. They had a lot of news today. They did. <laughs> they did. Although I think Asmodee probably took the cake for the biggest news. <clears throat> I think they always want to do that. Yeah. Oh, what happened? Um, um was they, being Asmodee? They bought more companies. Yeah. They bought more oh, companies. Yes, they were being Asmodee. Yes, and secured more um exclusive distribution rates. Yep. Ch- changed a lot of their distribution terms too, which I think is I- I'm guessing is gonna let them make a make a lot of folks unhappy, but you know. So are they becoming the diamond of the game world? No, that's Alliance. <laughs> that is Diamond. <laughs> yes, it is. That's <laughs> We'll have Connor on for a whole nother show about that. that. Yeah, that's that's a whole different... Con- and I, I'm going to have to start censoring myself here. I can probably- Remember when I told you when we started rolling? That's what happens. <laughs> I come yeah. with the comics world. I make many people angry. Yeah. <laughs> I have lots of frustrations with uh, many of our distributors. However, the, I, I will say that they um, they come through for us a lot more often than they screw up. So 
Yeah, and, and you nice. know, behind it, behind it, I know there's a lot of good people. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Mike and and uh, Mike Mike Webb, and then Mike Peschal, and you know, all those folks. There's some really good people in distribution, and they work hard. Um, I I don't know if you're familiar, but I work at PSI, so uh, mm-hmm. you're mm-hmm. sort of above above them. But um, but we I get, it affords me the opportunity to work with some amazingly creative folks and wonderful publishers. Um, I will, I, I, here's a little tidbit for you. I don't know if you guys know Kurt Covert from Smirk and Dagger, but uh, he, he allowed me to use um, before there were stars uh, in Coyote and Crow. There's a board game called before there were stars he did. And mm-hmm. I have a reference to it. I know that one. As yeah. A, yeah. There's a reference to it in the game in, in Coyote and Crow that it's a game that some people play as a leisure as a leisure activity. Oh, that's cool. Um, because it, it's a it's a perfect game for it, right? You're rolling dice and telling stories about mm-hmm. constellations of stars. And I was like, you know, that's that's an indigenous idea if I ever heard one. So Heck yeah. It's cool, it's, yeah. I, I believe it's sitting right there on top oh. of your copy of Mariposas. <laughs> yes. Yeah, right over here. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Our uh, our listeners were uh, talking about your your collection back there earlier oh, yeah. in our conversation. A lot of envy going on in the chat. Oh, thanks. Yeah, there's, there's a lot, a lot, lot of envy here. and already uh, respecting your your bona fides as they were by seeing all the. <laughs> like I'm I'm envious of uh, the stack of unmatched over there. That that's, oh yeah, that's been one I'm like. Oh, do I want to get into this one too? Oh, it's I addictive. have one of them that I'm never going yeah. to play it. I think I have the Dracula versus. Oh, you have Cobble and Fog. Cobble and Fog. Oh, yeah. my confusing. Okay, yeah. The, yeah. Uh, Mondo well, put out a it, couple it, copies, so yeah, yeah. yeah. It, Mondo and Restoration partnered for that, and yeah. It's a reskin of Star Wars Epic Battles. Like, yeah. Yep. Exactly. And well, no wonder and the rules caught on really easily for me. Yeah. Yeah, super yeah. simple and super addictive. During the first few weeks of COVID, my partner and I, she and I, broke out all the unmatched and created a tournament, a double elimination tournament, and started nice. playing that. Nice. Had a great time with it. I Every combo. Ask, how, did, how did Bruce Lee do? Bruce Lee got eliminated in like the third round, I think. But it was really? against, but it was against Bigfoot, and Bigfoot is so okay. That's fair. So powerful. So Bigfoot's broken. I don't want to say broken. I I, I like what uh, somebody from Restoration said in that they intentionally built the characters with a bit of of swing to them. They didn't mm-hmm. want the characters to feel like a fifty fifty proposition, and so okay. I I feel like characters like King mm-hmm. Arthur are extra challenging, and then you've got characters like Bigfoot who are a little easier. So I'll give those to newbies. I'll give Bigfoot to new a new player. I, I appreciated one review that that I saw that says whatever character that you're playing against will always feel like it's OP. It <laughs> doesn't matter who it yep. is. It's just going to feel yep. overpowered. I totally agree with that. And Bruce Lee is amazing, man. When you could drop some of those combo attacks, like pow, 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 pow. It's just amazing. I, I just love the fact that it's all these um, <laughs> fictional characters throughout the all of Unmatched and then Bruce Lee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, That's, he was a mythology unto himself. He was. Right. If he was real. Yes. <laughs> so a quick little, sometimes Norm hits us with kind of goofy questions that are still fun. Okay. Well, this so, is good so, because, it's ta- because it's about other games. Uh, that, well, yeah, that's true. It's about other games, right? So this, uh, this makes the assumption that you enjoy adult beverages. If you don't, then that's I do. fine. Okay, so Norm asks, uh, "What is your RPG with friend? When you're RPGing with friends, what is your drink of choice?" Mm. Whew. Well, I know the hard-hitting, deep questions. 
it used to be once upon a time it used to be at least a two liter bottle of dr pepper uh in my youth uh which is arguably point... more dangerous than any kind of liquor <laughs> you can buy yeah it's at a certain point i had to turn that faucet off it was uh it was it was hitting me in the insulin really hard i uh, I, I had a friend who during a gaming night used to kill two two liter bottles of mountain dew oh, I, yeah that hurts my stomach yeah, yeah. Um, in my later years, I, you know, it's funny is for a long time, I was a person who never, ever drank brown liquor. If it was a brown liquor, I was not interested. Um, and then a few years back, I took a trip to Scotland and trying to be an open-minded person. I went on a scotch flight and fell in love, uh, fell in love with smoky peaty scotches. And so, yeah, yeah. Uh So now that is my right there with you on that one then. Oh yeah. Give me a Laphroaig 10 or a Laphroaig 16 or Kalila 12. I, now we definitely have to hang out and game. <laughs> uh, do you own a one square patch of land? Thanks. I do. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll go there one day together and we'll game yes. on our little patches of land. Stand on my one foot square <laughs> of peat bog. I'm going to bring a little Lego tower for mine with a flag. <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, so <laughs> back to uh, Coyote and Crow really quick. Yeah. Um, so pipe dream, how do you see this game expanding? Do you also at beyond that, do you see a time where you know the the, the Asian American community or various other you know um at least in terms of like western civilization marginalized communities come to you and say like hey can can we do a source book about us like a version mm-hmm. of us mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know that could cross over maybe doesn't have to but use the same system and the same world yeah, I guess so. I guess my my two part answer for that is one, I you know I started with a pretty small dream on this. It was an eighteen k goal. I'm, I at this point I'm I'm done dreaming small. At this point with this response, I think I have a responsibility to start dreaming a lot bigger. Mm-hmm. So besides mm. expansion books and besides uh, you know custom dice, um, besides you know all of the expansions and and world building I would want to do within the RPG. Mm-hmm. I'm interested now in expanding beyond. I mean, we've already had people approach me about comics, about an animated series, about a TV series. Oh, let me know when you want to do comics. Um, I mean, all of those things are forthcoming. I mean, mm-hmm. my my you know my work schedule on Coyote and Crow went from you know let's 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 tweak this one skill. I, I think it might be a little op. To oh my god, I need a business attorney right now. Get me a business attorney on the phone. Cable so and I was... talked about that this morning actually because he and I have both done campaigns and run five hundred one c threes and we're both like. I mean, he probably has, but do we suggest on the show that he find an accountant and an attorney oh, yeah. and oh, all yeah. these things? Cause... CPAs, bookkeepers, <laughs> yeah, all that stuff. All of it I mean, is just yeah. You became a business. Yeah, we know oh, absolutely. You. Overnight, overnight, and yeah. because of that, like I said, I, I I think it's important then that I stop dreaming like just in RPG terms. I think the the world has a lot of potential for storytelling there, and it doesn't need to be limited to the book. Um, but as far as your the other half of that question about bringing in folks from outside of North or South America, I'm going to be really protective of that. I'm mm-hmm. going to be really protective. I at least want to see the grant the, the brand really kind of develop and that world get its due before I even entertain that. Um, right. There's a lot of other RPGs set in other worlds, and I feel like I owe it to my native cousins to let this them sort of relish this for a while. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's actually really cool. I, I really dig that answer because as much as you want a world where everyone has their own game, the, the fact of the matter is, is that in indigenous, as a rule, the indigenous Americas yeah. 
has been ignored. Yeah. You know, and pushed to the side. Well, not only that, but from a, like a storytelling logistics point of view, you've created a world that doesn't technically exist and is so extremely different from what is our reality. How can you envelop other cultures from other parts of the world? You have to factor in like, well, did colonialization happen there or not? Yeah. It's a, it's a big, it's a big, uh, undertaking mm-hmm. yeah, to fold in more cultures into something that is essentially a complete fantasy. Yeah. You you could make that world really inconsistent really quickly. Yeah. Uh, you could break it really easily. And I'll, I'll let you in on a secret. I know exactly what happened to everybody else outside of the Americas, but I'm not telling. Like ah. I, I am I am absolutely not telling because I <laughs> because I want I want my fellow well, my felt my fellow natives, but also any story guy that picks up the book, I want them to right. decide what happens and not feel constrained by my ideas on that. Mm-hmm. So that's fun because I go ahead, Bean. Sorry. I said while we're on the topic of changing yeah. the world, I actually wanted to have a little bit more discussion around the fact that you did what some people consider to be very controversial. Other people think it's more correct. You flip the earth on its axis. <laughs> yes. Yes. So I want to hear the story behind that decision was, and how you guys got there creatively. When I so, saw that, I thought of that episode of The West Wing, but go ahead. Yeah, so so this actually goes back. So I'm I'm an old man, and I was in the military, and I was in an era where uh, there was a lot of um, uh, there was a lot of conversion going on to digital at the time, and there was a lot of talk about like uh, map conversions and accuracies. When it comes to the military, obviously you want accuracy, right? So there was a lot of conversation internally in my department about those map conversions and the conversations that came out of that led to some research on map bias and that mm-hmm. map bias. And that, and that just, just a little nugget, a trivial nugget from years ago. And it kind of stuck with me. And when I started reading, um, when I started doing some research for uh, pre-Columbian history in the Americas, uh, it got into some conversations about early map making of the Americas and how mm-hmm. biased they were toward the monarchies those maps were being presented to. And that digging then led me to, well, wait a minute, we're making a lot of assumptions about orientation in general orientation and so that was when i was like you know what let's flip it on its head there's no reason that north has to be up north can be down and south can be up that's quite all right it doesn't change a damn thing reality is still reality right but but i think that for especially for non-native players i think it really helps set that tone of perspective change it helps you switch your brain a little bit into that that frame of thinking yeah, it was a, it was a weird feeling to see, for me personally, it was a weird feeling to see the Aztec Empire, like in the top on right. Top. <laughs> well, not on yeah. top. But, um, yeah. Well, I felt a little bit that way, but that's a whole. <laughs> uh, but then I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Also, like, yeah, why? And again, like my brain went right back to that episode of The West Wing when yeah. the, presenting the the chief of staff like the new map they're presenting, and she's like. Why is it flipped over? And they're like, why does it matter? Because yeah, it's freaking they're, me they're, out. <laughs> they're totally expecting them to be a bunch of cracks, just like right. crazy people. Yeah. And uh, and no, they're like actually taken aback by the concept yeah. and like, why, why don't we do it that way? Yeah. Colonialization. I mean, yep. how old are you before you realize that Greenland is not one of the biggest land masses <laughs> in the world? Um, what day is it? Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> or, I mean, how, I remember... 
and this was probably into my early to mid-20s, embarrassingly, my bl- my mind was blown when I realized that, like, three continents fit in Africa. I'm like, what? Yeah. Yeah. Africa it's that fucking big? And like, yeah. I'm like, then why does it? Oh, that's yeah. right. That's why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it looks like one and a half Texas on our map. Yep. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. The U.S. Yeah. is tiny. Well, if you ask a Texan, then Africa is only one and a half Texas. But... Which is funny that you say that, Cable, because I think we are way too big. <laughs> That's yeah. a whole other conversation, but America does need to be balkanized and broken up. It doesn't... It can't as, as a governing body. As a governing mm-hmm. body, it will not... Anyway, that's a whole other... Yeah. I, I do want to say, too, that I'm, I have some big dreams and big hopes for the Aztec Empire and a future expansion books. I've got some really cool ideas, but I need to to get those to some 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 writers from that region first. Well, and, if you want to uh, talk to people that write about that stuff already... Hey, hit me up. Hit me yeah, up. Absolutely. Got, never mind. Yeah, we'll say it off the air. Right now, we'll probably be very slow to respond, but please do hit me up. Yeah, no. I, I, there's a, well, I'll don't show forget, you some... we got you over that 5600, uh, right. 560 today. So yeah, I owe you one for sure. I, I'm so one. used to the show, like giving people the bump where they make the goal. And I was, because we started talking about three weeks before you launched. Yeah. And you were mm-hmm. like, well, let's do it about halfway through because traditionally Kickstarters need the help. I'm like, no, yeah. I understand. I've done it. Yeah. I, I actually completely stopped taking uh, any kind of media requests about four or five days in. I was like, nope. The ones I've got scheduled are it. That's it. I can't do yeah. any more. I'm backed up. So, yeah. So thanks, guys. I appreciate you being early and prompt and getting in on this. Well, we in full disclosure, you. we have to thank uh, our friend uh, Sarah Spoon Waffle. Yes for putting so... me in the initial contact. Um, she was so very charming about it. She sent me a message and she just sent a link with this. She's like, so this is a friend of mine. He's doing this game. It sounds pretty cool. And it'll probably be up your alley and for you personally and for the show. So like, check his game out. If you like it, invite him on. But don't say that I said anything. I, I want him to think <laughs> that his that people are discovering his site on his own. On That's their own. so Sarah. That is so Sarah. I, love I was like, her. all right. And I reached out. And then after you said yes, I said, hey, full disclosure, we have a mutual friend, Sarah. But it's fine. Yeah. Clearly, you have plenty of other people finding you without without Sarah's help. Yeah, That's right. Yeah. I have a I have an amazing Kickstarter manager who who came on board uh, prior to prior to launch, and she's been really helpful. And you know, we had we had had all these meetings before the Kickstarter about you know how we were going to schedule out tweets and how we were going to schedule out our Kickstarter posts to maximize our exposure. And about a weekend, we were just I was like Heather, just just stop it, stop doing that, just don't worry about <laughs> it. We we're way beyond the need for scheduled tweets. Like it's okay. <laughs> We're good. Uh, We're good. That being said, are you still getting spam messages from quote Kickstarter experts that will help you expand? Oh, your absolutely, reach? absolutely. I, my last campaign was five years ago, and I still get like, "Hey, do you want to expand your growth?" I'm like, "Seriously, guys, <laughs> stop it." It's also incredible how many uh, uh, printing companies, both both domestic and printers in China, have contacted me in the last week. So you know that really I mean, attention. we got to kind of like move on to other things a little bit here but that does kind of remind me like how is um because i noticed on your kickstarter campaign you're actually a very um you're very adamant about your environmental impact mm-hmm. of the book yeah um what are some of the approaches you are taking sorry um i just realized my computer hasn't been plugged in and it's about to die so plug it in hey good um <laughs> what are some of the choices you are making to make sure that uh, 
the the book also has a you know a a good a decent carbon yeah. footprint as it were yeah i was gonna say the so the the first thing we wanted to do is is uh print us uh, as much as i love the cost differential on chinese printing the shipping involved is just so brutal and so printing domestic is important for us. Um, we're we're working with a couple of different publishers on quotes right now. Unfortunately, like within the last couple of weeks, there's been some changes in um, paper prices. Uh, there's some some strangulation in the market going on with China, and it's causing everybody to have an uptick in costs. So by the time we go to print, I'm hoping something has shaken loose and things have changed a little bit because we are, you know, I think it says on the Kickstarter 300 page book, but I think our most recent estimate is pushing it closer to 350 or 400. Um, we're we're getting sort of finalized on a lot of our writing, but we still have some layout art layout work to do. So I know the the book is going to be a little bigger than I originally planned, and that's all right. I, I we can afford now, I think, to to uh, expand out a little bit and fill that. Uh, work out. As one who loves to own hardback uh, RPG books, they could never be too big. Yeah. <laughs> well, like especially my- because we're. We're building a world here that is, you know, completely new, right? Like we're not we're not relying on cyberpunk tropes or sci-fi, uh, science mm-hmm. fantasy tropes or, or uh, you know, um, uh, fantasy classic fantasy tropes. So I, I feel like it's justified to have a little extra world building. Mm-hmm. Um, but the next the next part of my uh, process for trying to minimize our environmental impact is actually with dice. Uh, I'm going to ask you about that. So yeah, go yeah. ahead. So I'm working with uh, I'm. I'm I shouldn't say I'm working with, I'm chatting currently with three or four different organizations that are involved in bioplastics, uh, both in bio-based plastics and, and biodegradable. And the two are two separate things. So um, I'm trying to, trying to get a company that can produce uh, bio-based uh, plastics and biodegradable plastics in a single, in a single form and work with a, uh, an existing dice manufacturer that can produce dice that, that fill both those needs. Um, unfortunately, it's a big ask right now, and I might be a little too far ahead of the infrastructure curve. I, it might not just not happen. I'm not sure. Um, I, I feel like there would be dice manufacturers out there that would love to be the company that says, hey, yeah. we make these types of dice. Yep. And there, there are a couple of companies that are very eager. They like the idea, but all of them have said, whoa uh i don't know we'll get back to you soon my brain goes to companies like dwarven forge that love to do yeah different dice I, it feels like a no-brainer to be the first dice company that says hey we have partnered with this great rpg who's done all the legwork we now have bio and biodiverse you know and biodegradable yeah. Yeah. dice now yeah that that would be the hope, and I'm hoping that our our sort of final Kickstarter numbers kind of help boost our profile enough that that we can get some some uh, uh, scale on the production. Because if we're talking about a thousand a thousand sets of dice, it's going to be really expensive compared yeah. to ten thousand sets of dice. So, um, and speaking of dice, and in terms of also the books that will be donated to mm-hmm. uh, negative organiza- native organizations and libraries, yeah. are you going to find a way to provide dice to them also? Yes. So currently our, our current stretch goal is um, to develop a dice app, a free downloadable dice app. It will be on beyond just a dice app. It'll be a Coyote and Crow app. It'll have, you know, FAQ. It'll have a Kachahi hmm. uh, glossary in it, which is our, our fictional language that we've created for the game. Um, and it will have a dice app in it. Um, I, I'm personally committing to make sure that that dice app gets made, whether we hit the stretch goal or not. Like I, if I have to dip into my own funds to get it done, because I don't, <laughs> I don't want kids to just read the book and put it back on the shelf because they don't have any dice. Right. So, 
Um, that's, that's well, because I'm I'm trying to stay kind of active on your your updates, and I read different mm-hmm. comments and stuff. And it seems like a lot of the people who have been commenting, especially when it comes to the dice and the book getting out to various libraries, it seems like the audience is totally willing to be like, we're all gamers. We have so many D12s. Like I could, I can almost picture a grassroots campaign where gamers are like, can we just give dice? Can we facilitate a way to send dice to these, to these probably kids and their mm. family to, to play games? Cause regardless yeah. of your, your ethnicity or, or, or whatnot, I feel like at their core gamers are good people that want more absolutely. gamers. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Absolutely. I think there's, I'm not sure how, how difficult that kind of organization would be, but I do feel as though, especially once we have the list of libraries and schools and community centers that have received these books and we have, we have that list established, it's going to be much easier for us to direct future help to those places uh, once we've established those contacts. So I'm hoping that, that it's not just we drop a book off at their door. What I'm mm. hoping for is that down the line, we can send them organized play kits. We can send them a free adventure and say, hey, here's how to set up a play, uh, a, a, a weekly play session in your library and give them advice for that. I mean, that's my hope. Oh, that just, that touches my nerdy, my nerdy gamer heart. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's um, what it's all about, right? Like that's, I feel like I'm, I'm, a lot of us here are pretty lucky to be in the positions we're in financially and socially. And if I can, you know, help the next gamer along, that's awesome. That's great. I mean, it's, it's no, it's no exaggeration. When I say there were, there were moments from my life in junior high and high school where like gaming probably saved me from doing something like darker or bad or doing something that would have impacted my life negatively. And for as much as I got as gamers get teased in high school, you know, gamers really, role-playing games really give uh, an outlet of expression to people who are already marginalized, whether they know it or not. Yep, you absolutely. Know? Literal character building. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. or exploring <laughs> something that you may question about yourself and you can do it safely as a character. It's not you, it's your yeah. character, you know. I mean, I, I remember as a kid, uh, you know, having friends over for a weekend and Play, literally playing a role-playing game the entire weekend and every you yeah. know eight hours my mom would drift through the room and go you're still just sitting there quietly at the table you've not moved in eight hours you seem to be enjoying yourself what's going on and i'm yeah. like no we're just having a good time here I, suspicious. I, I remember my mom complaining that i didn't go anywhere for like three days on a long weekend <laughs> yeah. with my friends yeah we're just role playing and I can buying pizza and drinking yeah. a fuck ton of sugary, sugary <laughs> drinks. But my abuela being like to my mom, like Miha, he's not out partying and doing drugs. Yes. Maybe, <laughs> yes. maybe count your blessings on that one. Yes. Parents are never satsified. Uh, okay. What did you have something to say? Nope. I feel like it or something. Oh. I do. Go. Uh, you mentioned it in passing, but I really, really want to go back to it. Is mm. um, and now my brain says Choctaw, but I know that's not what mm. you said. But you guys developed your own language. Oh yeah, so oh. It's, yes, yes, we developed our own language, and that's one of my favorite stretch goals that we have going to. Uh, so the language is called Cogchahi. Uh, it's developed. Uh, we have a a conlanger on our team who speaks a, a couple of different native languages, and. Um, he has been working hard on developing this this trade this sort of trade creole uh, language that uh, is then going to be safe for non-native players to use, as well as 
native speakers are going to recognize certain phrases or certain uh, syllables or certain uses of the words in there because they're going to be similar to real native languages. Mm -hmm. um, but we're going to have a, a basic glossary in the book. Uh, then we're going to have a website that is going to have an expanded glossary and with some pronunciation guides that'll also be in the app. Uh, but then we're also, this is, and this is my favorite part, we're building um, both a name generator and a wiki for the language. So my idea for the wiki is that I want native speakers to come in and go, hey, I have this cool phrase or word in my language. I want to build the Cog Chahi version of it. And that just becomes a living language website then that we can build out. That's cool. Um, yeah. That is my new favorite element to this game. If it's, in, if it's mentioned in the Kickstarter, I totally missed it, but I'm yeah. super excited by that concept. Yeah. That's kind of her jam. That's kind of her jam. Oh, like conlangs or like mm -hmm. fictional languages is your, like, is your jam? Languages, period. Languages, I love period. learning okay, them, right. comparing them, hearing them. Yeah. Yeah. Words. I, I have, you know, I'm been really frustrated in, um, trying to learn to speak Cherokee. I'm, I'm Cherokee and, uh, I did not have any native speakers growing up. So I've been trying really hard to reconnect with that portion of my heritage and, I've been watching a lot of uh, the Cherokee nation has this great storyteller series on YouTube where they have traditional storytellers who tell the same story, both in English and then in Cherokee and listening to my language that I don't speak has been both heart wrenching and absolutely mm. uh, energizing. Hearing these people speak has just been amazing. Um, yeah. So I want to put that, that energy sort of back into this fictional language and, you know, Hey, you've got Klingon and Elvish. Why can't we have Kog Chahi too? Yeah, right. Well, so that's that's, that, that's that's really important work. I had, a, I had a job recently that didn't work out, but I, I did learn a lot of really interesting things. And one of them is that we like learn we we lose so many hundreds of languages mm -hmm. every day. Mm -hmm. And of the people who can speak more than one language, so anyone who's bilingual or multilingual, mm -hmm. um, almost certainly they are speaking English, Spanish or um, one of the many Asian languages, mm -hmm. which is just a testament to all of the uh, colonization that has happened mm -hmm. all over the world. Like, even if you yeah. can learn to be multicultural, it's it's still through this colonial or just white, more often mm -hmm. than not, lens. Not yep. even like and, Spanish, but any, any of the Romance languages, which is yeah. all the yeah. primary colonizers. Yeah. Yes. Yes, Absolutely. yes, yes. Quote, I love this called the Romance Languages, and they did the most killing ever. <laughs> when they speak, it's beautiful. So, you yeah, know, whatever. Yeah. Because yeah. um, uh -huh. so, so only, only languages from the Mediterranean are beautiful. Everything, everything else is just garbage. Just... Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, the, other, the other thing I wanted to mention about the languages, though, is that we also built, we're also building a name generator. Um, and currently it's working on a sort of a static list of pre-generated names, but we're hoping that we can sort of create the AI on the back end that will actually create world appropriate fictional languages so that non-natives have a sort of a source to go to for generating their character names and aren't accidentally slipping into tropes or stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's really upon that in a game yeah. I'm about to start with Cable, actually. What's this kind one? of a kind of a um I'll let cable explain it. Okay. It's a it's an RPG based in the world of Usagi Ojimbo. Oh this wow. iconic, yeah. How fun. And I don't really have right the, the background <laughs> awesome. to develop my own name, so I just go off of what's in the back and I ended up coming up with a name that's extremely generic uh, mm -hmm. at best mm -hmm. and tropish at worst. 
I mean, I, I did the same thing, but I felt like the name I picked fit the character. I and mean, if it's in the book, it can't be tropish. It's the suggested name. But it just, it, it, it's such a <laughs> narrow list that, I mean, yeah. how many other people have probably ended up with something similar? Well, yeah. You know, you got to start somewhere. Go ahead, Cable. Yes. I, I was just going to make a comment that it's his game. Well, it's also like, it's not my game. I didn't make it, but I've looked at that list of names and I've gone, Oh yeah, this is, I've known all of these names. I've known all of these names in, in Japanese communities and they're just like, it happens. It's like not everyone you get a lot of John Smiths and Jan yeah. Smiths in yeah. the equivalent yeah. of Japanese. Every it, culture it has happens. it. Yeah. I think sure. apart from Denise, who might be the only Mexican I know who doesn't have an Uncle Chewy. Oh. No oh. Uncle Chewy, huh? That yeah. was my reaction to her. <laughs> I, I didn't guess, know. I guess I didn't Ignacio think... is not a popular name in my family, in either of my families. I didn't think it was possible to have a family with a Tio who wasn't named Chewy. I just thought it was like, I felt like eventually the gods came down and went like, oh, you have enough Tio. One of them is Chewy. Cousin for me, but cousin. Yeah, but yeah, I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, yes. Yeah. So um, no. I feel like we got to spend a little bit of time wrapping up the show. Sure. Um, but um, I, I mean, uh, Connor, what else do you want to add? Yeah, you've covered a lot. Yeah, we have. Thank you for coming on the show. Oh, yeah. Um, It's been fun. It's also, uh, speaking personally, uh, as someone who has done this show for 16 years, it's finally nice to officially one-up Nerdist. (laughs) 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 Who have been stealing from this show for years, and now I can officially one-up them. Awesome. That's my own own personal gripe. Congrats. Yeah. Um, He's not wrong. Uh, I'm trying to think of. Not wrong. I'm five years older than them, but okay, go ahead. Yeah. I, I think the only thing I wanted to add is that I'm I'm really excited about the potential for our next stretch goal. I, I you know I'm not much of a stretch goal kind of person, and we blew through all of ours in the first week. But the fact that we have someone, a writer, a well-known writer, God damn it. in the wings, and is willing to write a cool one-shot adventure for I, us as our next stretch goal. Oh, I sent you so an cool. email. I think yeah. I know who it is. And I want to ask you, but if I ask you, I will turn off the recording and the live stream. But I kind of have to ask you. You <laughs> yes. can tell me I ain't going to answer. Right, right now? It's not I, actually. I can, I, I can just, what's, I'm sorry. Is it, is it, a, is the, the name, like, is, is that a secret that is yet to be yeah. revealed? Yeah, okay. I have not yet revealed the name of the author and I'm not going to. I'm going to keep that a secret. I'm, it's totally under wraps, but uh, I, I was I was nerding out. I was totally turning into a little fanboy uh, that this person was was willing to do it. So I seriously uh, think I know who it is. <laughs> but just, I, just I met them like two years ago, and I'm pretty sure I know who it is. Oh, nice. Anyway, not that's it. Yes. Okay, that's it. But yeah, that's I think the only thing other thing I wanted to cover and that and I guess I wanted to underline too that I really hope that non-natives feel like they can they can step into this world and play. Um, we really did put up a lot of guardrails is probably more than we needed actually. And mm-hmm. I hope non-native players feel welcome in the world and have a good time with it. I think they'll appreciate that. Cause I have a few friends that are, um, you know, not native, they have European backgrounds, but are working very hard to kind of break past, you know, the, mm-hmm. the issues that were just ingrained in being born in America, you know, that are yep. just happening. 
Um, they're good people. They love role-playing games. Um, but they're always nervous about doing something like this. And I think yeah. just hearing it from the designer will be like, okay, I can do this respectfully. Yeah. I, I think I think one of the keys to that is is not disengaging. I think the key is to engage and realize that you may step on a toe at some point, and that's okay. Like that's just have a conversation about it when you do. It's yeah, right. if you're if you're engaging and coming from a place of authenticity, yes, everyone screws up, regardless it, of your it's, it's about your heritage. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, even you know, indigenous Americans will screw up on something else. Absolutely. Um, I, I I make mistakes all the time when it comes to tribal differences on my crew and they correct me and I correct them and it's all good. It's about yeah. respect and kindness and an open heart. Well, that's a perfect place to end this interview. <laughs> Connor, thank you so much. Uh, Absolutely. We'll, we'll put the link in the chat, of course, but if you just, I think if you right now, if you just Google coyote and crow, the Kickstarter is the first thing that pops up. Yes, it is. Um, you're probably going to break 600,000 before the weekend's over. So, yeah. Here's the funny thing. <laughs> you're in the middle of the campaign, which yeah. is traditionally when it goes down. Yeah. Yeah. Because traditionally Kickstarters have that final five day bump where it goes crazy again. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I, uh, I'm not even so, going to try to guess at where we're going to end. So what is the, if I may ask, what is the, the monetary value for that stretch goal for the writer to do the adventure? Uh, if if uh, oh for for the for that we'll announce it at, if we hit the current one at seven fifty. Um, uh, it's not official, but it's probably going to be a million. You heard it here, folks. Yeah. Uh, if I think who it is who's writing, Oof. you want to read that adventure. Um, would this be the first RPG to hit a million that wasn't from a major company cable? That's a good question. I don't know. Because I know there's been campaigns that. that have done it, but they've been like yeah. Fantasy Flight or yeah. Odysseus, but from yeah. like a non-established RPG company. Yeah, not, that's a, good question. not of an no independent idea. one. Yeah. Let's just go yeah. with it. That's a good goal. Yeah, say it. Do it. Oh, not bad for my first Kickstarter, right? <laughs> oh, now you got to rub it in. <laughs> <laughs> and now we all hear and you. See. <laughs> I just blew all my goodwill. I just blew it all. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Connor, thank you so much. Uh, yeah. We're about to wrap up the show, but you can hang on for this part because you're wearing the sure. hat. Um, <laughs> we're about to wrap up the show, unless Cable Bean, you have something you want to throw in. Now we're uh, ready. I just want to pay my respects. Uh, we lost the Affet Koto yesterday. Uh-huh. One of the greatest American actors of all time. Uh, yeah, Connor's wearing his Nostromo hat. Uh, Affet Koto was a brilliant performer. He could play any role. Um, people, uh, people know him, of course, from, um, Alien, uh, the TV version of In the Heat of the Night. No, the movie. The movie. No, movie. 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 I, I reversed it there for a minute. Um, thousands, hundreds of other roles. Um, a really gifted actor who has, who, who went through some shit and then came through it. Uh, for my Trek fans was almost Captain Picard. Wow, I didn't oh, know that's that. That's right. Yeah, uh, I before, remember that. Before they before they picked Patrick Stewart, the next person they were, and I think Yafit Koto, I think they didn't pick him because he had commitments, so he ended up backing away, and they're like, "Well, oh. we got to find someone else." So Yafit Koto was almost the captain of uh, Enterprise D. Wow, that's Damn. amazing. Yeah, I can picture that actually. I can too, right? It's easy. 
tell you right now, if Yafakota was the captain of the Enterprise, we never would have had the fucking fucking Path of Glory episode in season one. <laughs> that shit. I don't know what shot. you're talking about. There's no such episode. <laughs> Frakes <laughs> feels the same way as you do. There is no episode <laughs> three of Energy uh, Next Gen. Um, but uh, a talented performer uh, who will be who will be greatly missed uh, as someone who Alien was a formative film for me. Um, he's some. In fact, I think tonight I'm going to watch Alien before I go to bed. Nice. So yeah, that's it. Oh, that's a good idea. I finished all of the Marvel movies. All of them? Oh, well, I mean, mostly all of them. We didn't do the Hulk. We didn't do the Spidermans. Thank you for saying Spidermans. <laughs> you don't need the Hulk, and Spider-Man is fun, but it has not. It's not actually tied into the MCU until the next one, apparently. Well, is it? Doesn't Far From Home have um, Doctor Strange in it? So that's no, pretty... he's referenced, but he's not yeah, in it. He's not in it. Okay, okay. Nick Fury's in Far From Home. Yeah, Cable. Yes, I, I was going to say Homecoming. Homecoming has Iron Man. Oh, has Iron yeah. Man. Tony Stark. Yeah. yeah, Far From Home is tied in, and um, No Way Home is No Way Home is very tied in. Yeah. Hella tied in. Yeah. No Way Home is the the fourth one that's not out yet. Third. Right? Yeah. Third. Oh, okay. Third, I always third, mess yeah. that up. I'm talking, yeah. I meant the third one is what I was talking about. The one that I thought had Doctor Strange. The one that, that I will. haven't seen. Yeah, that will. Yes, will. It does yeah. have that. The third Strange. one will, yep. yeah. Um, gotcha. All right, so we've got to wrap it up. But uh, quick, Connor, this is what I like to throw to every game designer or comic book writer out there. Uh, if you had one IP to turn a game out of, what would it be? No pressure. Oh man. Oh, no pressure. No pressure. That doesn't already um, exist. Oh, uh Mass Effect. Ah. Oh. Does that count? Can I do can I call Mass Effect? No. Yes. Not a, not yes. a All right, Nate, not it's not an RPG. Yes. That's a good pool. No one's ever actually said Mass Effect in the one time I've asked this question, which is happening right now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a good question to ask every comic book creator and game designer we have on from this going forward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why hasn't there been a Mass Effect RPG? It's right. a, it's a, a rich Dragon it's Age always one. Always writes. Yeah. Licensing. Yeah. There's been a Dragon Age one. Mm-hmm. Same company. Someone must have, but someone was willing to pay whatever they were asking for it. I guess. So. Always this. Yeah. Always. Uh, Can Connor I again. Some... Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I wanted to add in a sort of a, a joke answer there. Cormac McCarthy's The Road. <laughs> 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 sorry isn't that just a fiasco but in the woods yes yeah i guess i, I guess so yeah <laughs> way to shoot me down man i'm someone's sorry gonna to, someone's gonna have to explain that one to me later well yeah we'll, we'll finish that story off air yeah. <laughs> connor again thank you so much it's been Absolutely. an absolute pleasure talking to you i can't wait to get this game in my hands Thanks, and uh, Thank you. play adventures and stuff. It's um, it's a long time coming, but I'm glad this game's out there, and I'm glad you were doing it. And all Thank your you whole all. team, your whole team. Thank you, much appreciated. Um, Thanks all for having me. Yeah. That being said, I'm Aaron Duran. I'm Benarita. And I'm Cable Hashitani. And our guest has been Connor Alexander, and we will talk to everybody next week. Phrase goes here. I'm huge. <laughs>